Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's word and apply his message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today is part three of Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 10. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. The Gospel of Nicodemus, also known as Acts of Pilate, is an apocryphal gospel claimed to have been derived from an original Hebrew work written by Nicodemus. And you know Nicodemus. We studied him in John. We met him three times in the Gospel of John. By the third time we met him, he was all in bringing hundreds of pounds uh, of, of myrrh and alloy to anoint the body, a burial fit for a king, a mixture of myrrh and aloes about a hundred pounds worth with Joseph of Arimathea. Those two men together would take the body of Jesus, bound it in strips of linen with spices and help Mary bury the body. Joseph of Arimathea would offer his new tomb, which no one had yet been laid. And they did it because the Jews preparation day, the tomb was nearby. They would try, they helped Mary get Jesus buried before sundown. Now, did you ever wonder what happened between the time Jesus died on the cross and his resurrection, that tomb time? Well, Paul says, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, and who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead? What is the meaning of this riddle? All souls would go to the abyss after death. Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. When Christ became incarnate in the virgin's womb, who would go ascend up to heaven to bring Christ down? No one. God will send him down according to his own perfect timing. At the appointed time, God sent down Jesus incarnate by Mary's, yes, her fiat. And and Paul will tell the Galatians when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so we might all really receive adoption as sons. Who will ascend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead? Again, my friends, this will be God's plan. This will be God's plan. And we're told in 1 Peter 3, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. It's two verses in the New Testament from Peter. Who will ascend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Jesus, the spirit of Jesus. The tomb was sealed. The armed guards were watching. His physical body was dead, but he was made alive in the spirit. Before he physically burst forth from the tomb on the eighth day, Easter Sunday, in a glorified body during tomb time, he was made alive in the spirit and he descends to the abyss by the spirit on Holy Saturday. He's made alive in the spirit and he harrows Hades and all souls since the fall of mankind are waiting in Hades. They're waiting in limbo, what the Latins call limbo. They're waiting for a savior. They're trapped in the cursed ground of Adam. They can't get free on their own, but he's made alive in the spirit. And he went and made a proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. That means he preached the gospel. He preached to them the good news, what he had done. But 
Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why he says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order that he might fill all things. He's the fulfillment of all. He ascended and he descended. The gospel of Nicodemus is not scriptures, but it's used to understand this theological concept in the early church. Now, a little further, Matthew 27 is the only one that tells us that that curtain, uh, more tells us about the curtain being torn from top to bottom. The earth shook, there was earthquakes, rocks split open. But Matthew is the only one that tells us that tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And this is a Tassat painting that I love of those resurrected bodies from Matthew 27 appearing in the city of Jerusalem. Now the gospel of Nicodemus will address this. Did anyone talk to these bodies? Did anyone, who are these people? Well, we read about two male witnesses who were resurrected that day. And there had to be two to three to be an authentic Jewish witness. Two males would have been the bare minimum. So it's the narrative of Nicodemus, the gospel of Nicodemus. It's speaking about Simeon's resurrected sons, Carinus and Lathias. And this is what they say. There was a great light in Hades. Simeon arrived and announced the coming of Christ. Now in Isaiah 26, we read, thy dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. O dwellers in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for the dew is a dew of light, and on the land of shades thou will let it fall. Isaiah predicted this harrowing of Hades. And so did Acts 26. Paul's trying to convince King Agrippa before he dies. He's trying to convince King Agrippa and he talks that Christ had to suffer. Remember, he had to be the first to rise from the dead so that he would proclaim light both to the people and to the Gentiles, to the people already dead in Hades. Simeon in Luke 2, he, these are his sons, but Simeon, full of the Holy Spirit, said, I can die now. My eyes have seen salvation. This baby, this baby Jesus is a light of revelation for the Gentiles and glory for thy people Israel. Well, if you listen, I'd like to read you an excerpt from the actual gospel of Nicodemus. It's the Greek form that's been translated with uh, a little friendlier language, like changing the these and thous. So this is what Simeon's resurrected sons, Carinus and Lathias reported. O Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the life of the world, grant us grace that we may give an account of your resurrection and your miracles, which you did in Hades. We then were in Hades and all who had fallen asleep since the beginning of the world. And the hour of midnight, there rose a light as the sun into the dark regions. And we were all lighted up and we saw each other. And straight away, our father Abraham was united with the patriarchs and the prophets. Remember, he was on the other side of the chasm. Luke has a story. Jesus tells about Abraham. So he's united with the patriarchs and the prophets. And at the same time, they were filled with joy. And they said to each other, this light is from a great source of light 
Yes, like maybe uncreated light. The prophet Isaiah, who was there, said, This light is from the Father and the Son and from the Holy Spirit, about whom I prophesied yet when I was alive, saying, The land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, the people that sat in darkness, have seen a great light. There came into the midst another, an ascetic from the desert. And the patriarch said to him, Who are you? And he said, I am John the last of the prophets, who made the paths of the Son of God straight and proclaimed to the people repentance for the remission of sins. And the Son of God came to me, and I, seeing him a long way off, said to the people, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And with my hand I baptized him in the river Jordan. And I saw like a dove also the Holy Spirit coming upon him. And I heard the voice of God, even the Father, saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And on this account he sent me also to proclaim how the only begotten Son of God is coming here, that whoever shall believe in him shall be saved and whoever shall not believe in him shall be condemned. So my friends, even in Hades, there's a forerunner in Hades. John is preaching right now. On this account, I say to all of you in order that when you see him, you may adore him. That not only is for you the time of repentance for having adored idols in the vain upper world and for the sins you have committed and that this is impossible at any other time. So he's telling them, now is your chance. Get ready. Messiah is coming. He's going to say salvation is offered to all. When you hear him preach, when you hear his gospel, go with him, go with him, repent and go with him. It continues. While John, therefore, was thus teaching those in Hades, the first created and forefather Adam heard and said to his son, Seth, my son, I wish to tell you the forefathers of the race of men and the prophets where I sent you when it fell to my lot to die. And Seth said, prophets and patriarchs here. When my father, Adam, the first created, was about to fall once upon a time into death, he sent me to make entreaty to God, very close by the gate of paradise, that he would guide me by an angel to the tree of compassion, that I might take oil and anoint my father, that he might rise up from his sickness, which thing therefore I did. Adam is sending Seth to the tree of life before he dies to see if his son can get some oil from the tree of life, the tree of compassion, that he might not have to die. <laughs> After the prayer, an angel of the Lord came to me, Seth, and said, what, Seth, do you ask? Do you ask for oil, which raises up the sick, or the tree from which this oil flows on account of the sickness of your father? This is not to be found now. So he cannot have the tree of life because the tree of life will be the cross of Jesus Christ. Go, therefore, tell your father that after the accomplishing of 5,500 years from the creation of the world, there shall come into the earth the only begotten Son of God being made man. And he shall anoint him with this oil and shall raise him up and shall wash clean with water and with the Holy Spirit, both him and those out of him. And then shall he be healed of every disease. But now this is impossible. When the patriarchs and the prophets heard these words, they greatly rejoiced. And when all were in such joy, well, the Jews, you must understand, I'm taking a little break from Nicodemus right now. The Jews envisioned the universe made up of a flat, dish-shaped earth floating on water. Heaven was above, 
the underworld was below and humans inhabited the earth during life. And then they inhabited the underworld after death. There was no way that mortals could enter heaven before Messiah. The underworld was morally neutral, a holding place called Sheol. It's mentioned in many scripture passages in the Old Testament, but Sheol was a Hebrew word. Sometimes it was called the pit or the abyss. And in the New Testament in Greek, it's called Hades. In English, it's called hell. But Sheol is equivalent to Hades or hell, but it's understood to have two areas, the abode of the just or Abraham's bosom or Gehenna. And between these two, there exists an uncrossable chasm, which separates those who have been faithful to the Lord and those who have not. And before the coming of Messiah, the anointed one, the souls of all who die, the righteous and the unrighteous, would be in a state of suspension, separated from God, and their souls would be kept in confusion in Sheol, their bodies decaying in the dust of the earth. Sheol was imagined to be a dim, shadowy place with diminished type of survival after death. And it did not, however, liberate man from the more perverse and adverse effects of creation, exclusion from perfect communion with God and men. So you notice how they they couldn't see one another until that great light flooded in. Heaven once was open to full communion with mankind, but it was closed now after Eden. For the Jews, Sheol was their destiny until the coming of the anointed Messiah. Okay. Also, this next part in the Gospel of Nicodemus reminds me of C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters, because now we're going to get a perspective of the demons in Hades. Satan, the heir of darkness, entered and said to Hades, Hades is the master of the underworld, Oh, all devouring and insatiable, hear my words. There is of the race of the Jews one named Jesus, calling himself the Son of God and being a man by our working with them, the Jews have crucified him. And now when he is dead, be ready that we may secure him here. For I know that he is a man. And I heard him also saying, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. He has also done many evils when living with the mortals in the upper world. For wherever he found my servants, he persecuted them. And whatever men I made crooked, blind, lame, lepers, or any such thing, by a single word he would heal them. And many whom I had got ready to be buried, even these, through a single word, he brought them back to life again. And Hades says, And is this man so powerful as to do such things by a single word? And if he be so... Can you withstand him? It seems to me that if he be so, no one will be able to withstand him. And if you say that you heard him dreading death, he said this mocking you and laughing, wishing to seize you with the strong hand and woe, woe to you, to all eternity. And Satan says, oh, all devouring and insatiable Hades, are you so afraid of hearing of our common enemy? I was not afraid of him, but worked in the Jews and they crucified him and gave him also to drink gall and vinegar. Make ready then in order that you may lay fast hold of him when he comes. And Hades answered, heir of darkness, son of destruction, devil, you have just now told me that many whom you had made ready to be buried be brought to life again by a single word. And if he has delivered others from the tomb, how and with what power shall he be laid hold of us? Now remember, Jesus had raised three people from the dead in his three years of ministry from his baptism in the Jordan. He raised Jairus's daughter in Mark 5. He raised the widow of Nain's son in Luke 7. And he raised his dear friend Lazarus in John 11. And in the Gospel of Nicodemus, it says this of the raising of Lazarus. For I not long ago swallowed down one dead Lazarus by name. 
and not long after, one of the living, by a single word, dragged him up by force out of my bowels, and I think it was he of whom you speak. If, therefore, we receive him here, I am afraid, lest perchance we be in danger even about the rest. For, lo, all those that I have swallowed from eternity, I perceive to be in commotion, and I am pained in my belly." And the snatching away of Lazarus beforehand seems to me to be no good sign, for not like a dead body, but like an eagle he flew out of me. So suddenly did the earth throw him out. Wherefore also I adjure you, for your benefit and for mine, not to bring him here. For I think that he is coming here to raise all the dead. And this I tell you by the darkness in which we live. If you bring him here, not one of the dead will be left behind it to me. Now, that is quite an account, the gospel of Nicodemus. But even in Hades, salvation will be offered to all these souls waiting for God. While Satan and Hades were thus speaking to each other, there was a great voice like thunder saying, Lift up your gates, O ye rulers, and be lifted up, ye everlasting gates, and the king of glory shall come in. When Hades heard, he said to Satan, Go forth if you are able and withstand him. Satan therefore went forth to the outside. Then Hades said to his demons, Secure well and strongly the gates of brass and the bars of iron and attend to my bolts and stand in order and see to everything for if he comes in here woe will seize us the forefathers having heard this began to revile him saying oh all devouring and insatiable open the king of glory may come in david the prophet said do you not know O blind that when i was living in the world i prophesied this saying lift up your gates O ye rulers and isaiah said i foresaw this the holy spirit wrote the dead shall rise up and those in their tombs shall be raised and those in the earth shall rejoice. And I wrote, Where, O death, is your sting? Where, O Hades, is your victory? Then there came a voice, again a voice saying, Lift up the gates. Hades, hearing the voice the second time, answered as if forsooth he did not know, and says, Who is this king of glory? The angels of the Lord say, The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And immediately with these words, the brazen gates were shattered, the iron bars were broken, and the dead who had been bound came came out of the prisons and we with them. And the king of glory came in in the form of a man and all the dark places of Hades were lighted up. He has come to find and rescue Adam and to set all the captives free. And we see many paintings of this, the descent into hell, the rescue of Adam, Christ leading Adam by the hand, the descent into hell, many paintings showing Christ's descent into limbo, Christ wearing the white tunic, bearing the standard of victory, Christ leaning toward Adam and Eve who were naked, hoping to be rescued from limbo and taken to the kingdom of heaven. This passage appears in the Apocrypha, specifically in the Gospel of Nicodemus, which tells of the resurrection of Christ and the seeking of freeing Adam, breaking the curse of the ground, ushering in the Father's blessing and pulling Adam from a among the souls trapped in limbo. Descent of Christ into limbo, and there's Adam, and there's Adam, and Christ has his hand on his wrist. There's nothing he can do. Christ will do all the work of salvation. Christ's descent into limbo, Christ leading the patriarchs from hell to paradise, preaching to the imprisoned spirits. And this is how we know the name of the good thief. It's in the Gospel of Nicodemus. He's named Dismas the good thief. He accompanies Christ to Hades because Christ said on the cross to him in Luke 23, 43, today you will be with me in paradise. And there we see Dismas with 
with his cross, the good thief. Jesus is true to his word. And we see Hades is trapped under the door. The death has been shattered, has been pinned down. This is a sandstone altarpiece where you see the arrest in the garden, the betrayal on the night he was betrayed. Then you see the crucifixion of Christ, the spearing of Longinus. Also, we know the name Longinus from the Gospel of Nicodemus. And the... uh, harrowing of Hades on the right. Again, here's Nicodemus pouring the aloe, the hundred pounds on him for burial. And then it's one, two, three, four, the betrayal, the crucifixion, the anointing of the body, and the harrowing of Hades. The people were illiterate. They couldn't read. These icons told the story. On the third day, Jesus was made alive, not only in the spirit, but also in a glorified body when he burst forth from the tomb. But on the vigil, the night before, the Western church really celebrates this light, this illumination of Hades, this glorious, glorious light. It starts outside the church when the priest makes this super, super bright bonfire. They use a special chemical because this is such an illuminating light. And they say the blessing and they light the Easter candle and we light up the whole church, passing the light of Christ from one to another. And then the Easter candle is placed front and center. Jesus Christ is our light. The Eastern church, on the other hand, they have souls that are chained in bondage, waiting in dark. So their church is dark. They're waiting for the King of glory. The priest bangs on the back door of the church. The King of gl- the people rattle chains. They, they're, bond- they're the captives, souls waiting in bondage, and they rattle chains. And then they greet the King of glory glory. And and he comes down the aisle, Jesus Christ, the Easter candle and uh, the priest in person, in persona of Christ. All right. So that's the answer to that riddle. That's what uh, Paul is talking about in Romans 10. Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from death. But what does it say? The word is near you on your lips and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what Paul says. For man believes with his heart and so is justified, and he confesses with his lips and so is saved. The scripture says no one who believes in him will be put to shame. Salvation is offered to all, my friends. Salvation is offered to all. Paul says there's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek, the Jew and the Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and bestows his riches upon all all who call upon him for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul repeats it again for additional emphasis. Were any of these souls sinners who were waiting for Jesus? I know uh, Moses is guilty of murder. David's guilty of murder. David's guilty of adultery. We're all sinners. These souls were sinners. Had they been to confession, there wasn't confession yet. What does Jesus do? He goes and preaches to them the gospel and they have a chance to believe or not believe. Belief, Paul is saying belief in the name of Jesus is important. But Paul says, how are men going to call upon him who they have not believed? How are they going to believe in him who they have never heard? Well, John the forerunner was preaching to the captive souls in that gospel of Nicodemus. He was born to preach. He's forerunner of the Messiah in real life, in mortal life, and in eternal life. He's still preaching to captive souls. Christ preached to captive souls. Paul wants to 
preach to captive souls? How are they to hear without a preacher? And how can men preach unless they are sent? And it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Paul wants everyone in the world to hear the story of salvation and say yes to it. He wants all saved. That's what Jesus wants. Jesus says, oh, that all would be saved. Then none would be snatched from my hand. Salvation is offered to all. That's what was promised to Abraham in Genesis 12. They have not all heeded the gospel, says Isaiah. Lord, who hath believed that he has heard from us? Paul says, so faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes by preaching of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. Their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? And then he says, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation with a foolish nation, and I'll make you angry. Well, Gentile world powers would be blessed by Israel's God. Our nation is founded in God we trust. It's on our money. We believe in Israel's God. We believe in Jesus Christ. Moses says, I'm going to make you jealous of those who are not a nation, a foolish nation. I'm going to make you angry. He's hailing back to Moses in Deuteronomy 32, where God said, they made me jealous by what is no God. They angered me with their worthless idols. Well, I will make them envious by those who are not a people. I will make them angry by a nation that has no understanding. Peter also, our first Pope, Peter says, it says in scripture, I'm laying in Zion a stone a cornerstone chosen and precious. And he who believes in him will not be put to shame. To you, therefore, who believe he is precious. But to those who do not believe, the very stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. And a stone that will make men stumble. And a rock that will make them fall. For they stumble because they disobey the word that they were destined to do. He's speaking about non-believing Jews. And he says to the Gentiles and other Jews that did get it, he says, you're a chosen race now, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, that you can declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Once you were no people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Back to Romans 10, almost there. Isaiah is so bold as to say, says Paul, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who didn't ask for me. But of Israel, Isaiah says all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Paul is quoting Isaiah 65 right there, where the Lord says, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that did not call my name. I spread out my hands all day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually. Paul is showing that salvation is offered to all. Salvation is offered to all, but not all want salvation. And that's the sword in our heart. That's the sword in Paul's heart. For the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world, all those who don't want salvation. The best gift in the entire world offered to us freely. Let's pray. Lord, we pray tonight to all those who are rejecting your salvation, your saving power, your eternal happiness, life with you in the heart of the Trinity forever. We pray for any of our loved ones tonight that don't believe, that they would come to believe in some way, that they would die in a state of grace. 
We pray for all the souls in purgatory tonight, those who need a little more purification before they can totally join you in the beatific vision. Lord, that we may receive you, that we may not be snatched away, that we may be faithful to the end, that we may endure, and that we may preach to others your good news, not just with actions, but with words and and with intelligent words of the scripture that we know. We praise you, we thank you, and we love you. And we pray that all would come to receive your salvation. Amen. That was part three of Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 10, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.